Hello, my friends. Welcome to Connect with Confidence. And this conversation, we are recording in Sydney. I have Andy and Shannon on the other side of the table, and we're going to tell you some interesting stories. I know these guys are always up for interesting stories about water, about changing lives, about connection and confidence. And they're looking at me like, what the heck are we doing here? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Shannon, you did an amazing introduction of what you guys are up to with the Governor General of Australia this morning. It was beautiful. So I'm just going to hand over to you to introduce you and Andy. Um, so effectively, what we do, to put it in a nutshell and boil it down real simply, is pull drinking water out of thin air. Um, so we became aware of the technology a couple of months ago. We've started the company now. And what we're ultimately aiming to do is using atmospheric water generation technology, introduce that to Australia, and use that to break the cycle to help close the gap within Indigenous Australia. That is fantastic. And of course, wherever we're listening in the world, we appreciate safe drinking water. But for a lot of Australians, we don't think about it that much. You know, we can take it for granted. So I love that you're working on this. It sounds like there's such a great response from the people that you're talking to, which is really exciting. And did you want to tell us, like, how did you meet Shannon and what's the backstory of what you're doing now to bring... Right. So I'll start with the backstory. Um, and it probably it starts way back in the early 90s. It's when I first joined. So I was in there. Well, both, we are both ex-full-time soldiers. Um, I survived close to 25 years in the military. Did some, some really good trips, East Timor, 2001, um, Iraq, and a couple of tours to Afghanistan. Did a, a short stint over to Yorkshire. That was probably the worst one. I don't remember much. I remember landing and leaving, um, but apart from that, it was pretty good. Shannon can talk a little bit more about his background, but one of the things, I know Shannon was heavily involved with the amphibious part of the Army, um, being a, a, a logistics officer, was involved with a lot of the amphibious work, so getting stores and equipment and soldiers from the boats onto the beach so they can fight the battle. Part of that is making sure that we've got water as part. Yeah, that, that, that's a key thing when you're fighting a battle is to make sure everybody remains hydrated. So the importance of moving water and, and getting logistics to get everything around the battlefield. My background, and Shannon would have seen this as well as some of the humanitarian aid work he did as well, so Sumatra Assist, was that it? So, and as part of COVID assist as well. So, mm. I helped design the force package that was embarked on one of the Navy ships in response to COVID assist. And this was still way, well, this was mid 2020, so height of COVID. Nobody knew what was going on. The vaccine didn't exist yet. Um, designed and then embarked a hospital, the construction stores for a hospital, and all the water and everything else that you would need for a humanitarian response somewhere within the Southwest Pacific. Wow. So, with his HA background and exposure and amphibious work that he was doing, um, for me it was the the water security side of it. You know, having travelled to some pretty remote places, pretty arid places, and seeing the results of poor water conditions, how that affects the locals, how it affects the communities, and then the, the flow-on effects from that. Um, and then I suppose when me and Shannon first met, we were working for a small consultancy providing services back to Defence after we discharged. And then Shannon rings me one day and starts talking about this great new technology and the next thing I know I'm being introduced as the co-founder and, and business partner. I still haven't signed anything for that yet, mate. Uh. <laughs> and, and, is, is, and I'll get him to tell his own story about this bit as well. 
Uh, but why we're actually really passionate about this business and this technology in particular is we've seen the impact of water security or lack thereof. Um, so myself, I spent the better part of 12 weeks over in Papua New Guinea at one point um, on an exercise over there. And as part of the supply of the logistics to there, we had to drink bottled water while we were on that deployment because the water table, water wasn't good enough for the soldiers. So we had never failed water units. We had big bottles of water, liter and a half bottles that once they were empty, we'd crush them. I was also responsible for the, the rubbish removal. So taking that to the tip. And I use the tip term very loosely. It's more piles of burning garbage. And we're shoveling these empty crushed water bottles out of the back of the truck. The locals who are living in the tip come up to us and say, can you not crush these bottles? And I'm like, sure, like, what are you doing? Are you selling them, whatever else? And I said, no, no, if, if we've got more of these bottles uncrushed, then it means that we can harvest more drinking water, which means that we then don't have to give our children as much Dirty Creek water to drink. Fast forward a couple of weeks later, I've now got a couple of pallets of water that have expired because it's gone past the, the use-by date on the bottom. And at the time, the army policy was because of the fact that it's expired, we could no longer drink it. So therefore, I had to get rid of it. So I take these pallets of water down the tip. I'm throwing pallets of still packaged water and a half water bottles out the tip. The locals think we're absolutely mad. They come up to us and they're looking at it going, there must be something wrong with that water. It must be poisoned. There must be something wrong. I open a bottle, drink it in front of them, but there's nothing wrong with it. It's just past the use by date. So therefore, so they thought we were absolutely nuts. But that was definitely a life-changing experience for me, both having to dispose of completely good water but it expired as well as not taking down the crushed bottles because it was a lot more efficient for us to crush the bottles you fit more in a truck but don't crush the bottles take the bottles down uncrushed so they could harvest more drinking water and i know that andy's got a similar yeah, story a very very similar story to that one when i was in east timor we were over there under one of the chapters for the un so it was a, a un operation and they were managing the water up near the the, um, the borderline between us, uh, between East Timor and Indonesia or West Timor. And we'd get the signal will come through from the UN headquarters back down in Dili saying that these batches are to be destroyed. So not necessarily just take them to the tip. We had to stand there and I'd have to get my diggers and we'd slice every water bottle. And I'm talking pallets, right? not just little packets, but I think the biggest count we did one day was 12 pallets full of water. We had to destroy them because the batch was, again, expired and out of date. What that also does, I see, with the water's still fine to, to drink. You know, it may be substandard to some sort of UN sanction or UN requirement, but the flow-on effect from that is the rubbish that's created from it. The tip or the burning pile of rubbish, similar to what we've got in these Timor as well. So now we're, we're creating more contaminants in the environment because we're burning off this plastic, mm. you know, or we're just dumping it and it's just, it just washes out. When the storms come through, washes out into the rivers and the oceans, and you know, all of a sudden we're killing dolphins and and baby whales. Um, but yeah, so with that in mind and that background that we've got, the, the atmospheric water generation gets rid of that waste altogether. You know, it's clean, fresh water, readily available at any given time whenever you need it. You know, there's no, no there's reusable water, reusable bottles all the time. So there's no recycling issues. There's no wastage issues, and we don't have to pour it down the sink, so to speak. Yeah, that's absolutely transformative. Mm. And I, I can imagine as people are listening to this, it's like, oh, no, it's awful to think about that waste and the yeah, the mm. rubbish. I remember when I went to Papua New Guinea just seeing, you know, all the, the, the little corner store, which the veterans joked about, you know, having been there 70 years ago. Mm. 
<laughs> they're like, oh, yeah, this is that restaurant that we went to. <laughs> and the the locals didn't have like a, a rubbish dump or anything. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, plastic waste, everything was just going over the back of the mountain. Yeah. 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 So by, by providing this clean water at point, so we're, we're increasing water security, we're reducing water scarcity, we're reducing the impact to the environment by getting rid of We're reducing the wastage that comes from it. Mm. And eventually, we'll reduce any contaminants going back into the environment when we start using renewable energy sources to power the systems that we're going to introduce. Mm. So we get rid of all that. How long have you felt frustrated by these issues and not been able to do anything about it? I guess it's been sitting in the back of your mind for... Yeah, so I, I didn't realise how much of a life-changing effect that that actual instance had. So that happened for me, that was 2016, and then I discharged from the army in 2021. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize until, I actually heard of this technology on a different podcast. My initial idea was, that's awesome. I could apply that to the army tomorrow. I know exactly where the power's coming from. I know exactly what need that that can fill, what issue, what value that can generate tomorrow. This is where we need to go. Um, we approached army due to the supply chain problems and how to contract into defense that that's an ongoing process and we're getting there so like right while we're doing that concurrently where else can we apply this what other sectors can we apply this to to generate value but more importantly what can we do with this tech to help change lives mm-hmm. um, so that's where when we started uh, looking around we did a bit more research to have a look at the water security problems because um, we've spoken about Timor, we've spoken mm-hmm. about PNG um, but closer to home we have the same kind of issues so looking up towards northern queensland as well as the northern territory the top the top and particularly the middle of the northern territory and the top of wa where there's a bunch of indigenous communities they have a lot of water issues through there as well um, and the australian water association actually has just published a report within the last couple of months that um, has gone through and analyzed all of those and we know there's a problem but we actually don't have the metrics as to how big the problem is um, we know that across a bunch of those communities the water is so there is not enough rain to support these communities. Therefore, the rainwater tanks are useless. They're way too far from anywhere to be connected to municipal water. So therefore, the water has to come out of the ground and has to come out of bores. Mm. Um, other than the fact that those bores are millennial water and that once that water's gone, it's gone. It doesn't, it's not refilling over time. The further down that water table gets, the more salty it's getting. There's also uranium and lead and a bunch of other issues that are in these water supplies that are coming out. If that water is not filtered properly and treated properly, which out in those locations, the treatment plants are difficult to maintain and keep up. So therefore there's issues associated with that. Um, It means if the locals are drinking this water, that's why there's kidney disease. That's why there's a bunch of issues in Australia. We're a first world country and we have these issues here. Mm -hmm. So rather than take this technology and immediately go overseas and apply it to where there are people in in genuine need of this tech, and there are other companies around the world that are starting to do that, we figured Australia has that need um, that we need to tap. So therefore, where can we draw revenue lines um, to get into those communities to help? That also being said, we don't want to rock up with into those communities going, here's the technology, we can fix all the problems, we're riding into town to save the day. Because we know that that's not how you systemically fix those issues in the communities. Um, and the most important thing is, we might think it's an issue, but if the community doesn't think it's an issue, it's not an issue. So it's getting the buy-in from those locals. So I was fortunate enough to go up to the Torres Strait a couple of months ago with the Queensland Chief Entrepreneur. And as part of that, um, we got into we got up onto the island and it wasn't going up with any 
preconceived ideas as to what was going on and what problems were in the community. It was literally pulling together and the mission pulled together a bunch of innovators and business leaders to go into community and just talk to the locals and go, hey, what are the issues? What are your frustrations? What would you like the rest of Australia to know and the rest of Queensland to know? And, and what do you need help with? Um, the number one issue that they have up there, other than the fact that there's a reverse osmosis plant and it's putting a bunch of salt back into the ocean and it's chemicals and it's expensive and parking all of that to do with water. Their biggest issue is they don't have employment opportunities and therefore if you're not employed by either federal, state or local government, you're a teacher um, or you're a pilot for some of the vessels going through the Torres Strait and even all those vessel pilots are out of towns anyway, there's no jobs on the island. So they say that their biggest issue is economic development and opportunities for the locals. So talking to some of the elders, I said, how would it be if we could get this technology, containerize it, power it off renewables, because in the Torres Strait, it's about 80, 95% humidity all year round, so it's, it's ideal for this. Hook it up to renewables, hook it up to a water bottling plant, and then you can literally bottle your own water, put it into the store to then sell back to the locals. So even it might only create a job or two or three jobs on the island, that's raising the employment on the island by two, three, four percent. So it's not a small change there. Um, but not only is that then a product that they can sell in the store, it's also a product that they can then export to um, areas like Cairns or other tourism hotspots to then tell the stories as to what's going on in these communities. Um, using marketing, using the QR code on the side of the bottle, you can start getting the message out as to, hey, this is what's going on there by buying this product similar to what Thank You have done with their products, by buying these you're actually helping fix the issue there. And that's why when we say um, breaking the cycle to close the gap, it's not us rocking up with the technology and going, here's the solution. It's us finding those, those entrepreneurs and those champions within the community that we can then explain the technology to them. If they're interested, we can get the buy and then the community can help itself. Yeah. In one breath, too. That was impressive, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's like so much food for thought. And, and that's only a small part of, of what we're trying to achieve. So the, the helping that, those regional communities mm. is only one mm. aspect of what mm. we're aiming to get mm. to. And there's so much in that, in the way that you've approached, that you've asked the questions. And so all of those jobs that you mentioned, there was no mention of small business. Like, is there little to no small businesses no, so, so there is um, particularly, and, and I'll keep harping back to Massey because that's, that's the first community that we've been in so far. Um, we are looking for communities closer to southeast Queensland that don't have the same logistical issues to run the pilots first. But looking particularly at Massey, no. Like, there are small businesses there. Um, so there's some fishing trawlers. Um, there's some guys up there that are taking. Um, so Dennis, one of the locals up there, he's actually picking up all the plastic bottles that are on the beach and is working with another company up there, Plastic Pirate, to put those bottles through a machine to then spit out um, its chipped plastic. And that company is also working to then uh, heat film mold that into swimming fins. Um, and those swimming fins, there's a bunch of dive operators that run all the snorkeling boats out of cans that are already going, okay, well, if that's recycled from up there, then we're definitely interested. So they're looking at turning that into a circular economy that it'll start with the dive crews and then eventually it could be like all of the snorkeling vessels for all of the, the tourists as well. Um, so there are some small businesses up there, but it's very, very localised, no exportable product. Um, and that's what, because there's those no, their, their internet connectivity up there is average. 
Um, so even like those kind of tech jobs that are easily scalable, there's not a lot of opportunities. Mm. So what are the other opportunities and projects that you see, Andy? You said this is just this is just scratching the surface. This is one like mm. amazing project. Yeah. And so this is the, that one's targeting more the, um, the like we, the, the phrase breaking the cycle to bridge the gap. Mm. You because know, they get caught in a a loop, oh, Dad did that, that's what Granddad did for a job, that's what his dad did for a job, that's what I'm going to do for a job. So by providing them an avenue through the having local facilities on, on site, we can also then start identifying training courses for them and start growing them that way to break that cycle and then eventually that will start to bridge that gap from poverty um, up into whatever not poverty is. What's the word for that? Comfort. Yeah, and more security and stability. Yeah. Um, but there's also, so whilst you're talking about, I was thinking about the time we had a coffee in Dubbo yeah. and I grabbed a glass of water and drank out of it and nearly spat it out because oh. the taste of it. It's not a shot against anyone from Dubbo, the listeners. I love Dubbo. It's a great little town. Your water is not the best, so I'm sorry. Um, that was just a bad week. It was a bad week. <laughs> um, but then, then, then it, you know, start thinking about what we can do for the further the communities that are further out, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be an Indigenous community. It can be a small town like uh, somewhere out near St George or Malkata or something like that. There's towns out there that are, that just don't have access to potable water, whether it's ground or, or not. They, they've got to rely on the rain or it being shipped in. You know, we could put some of our technology um, or some of the technology or our solutions into those communities and all of a sudden they've got beautiful, clean drinking water, yeah. you know. And then reduces that that fear of what we're going to do when we don't have water. You know, I, I, me personally, I live on a very small block of land outside of Canberra, but we've got we're on water tank. My concern now that we're going into into the drought, how often we're going to have to top up that tank? You know, so helping the the, the drought stricken areas as well. There's the military aspect. You know, that's that's a huge one. Uh, both the land base and um, putting them into ships as well, so they've got clean drinking water on board the boats instead of having to go through um, drinking the revert the, the water that's created by the reverse osmosis or the desalination process. Um, the, the, the avenues are just non-stop. I mean, the, the, once we get it in one spot, it'll just keep going. Like yeah. water will form a puddle. <laughs> The like ripple that effects. I yeah. love it. It's so cool. So tell me, when let's just go back. I know you are she looking at me like it's like oh no. I know. Let, let's just um just get a snapshot of young Andy. Oh Jesus! No, where, Sykes where, said I shouldn't talk about where did that. You, where did you grow up, and what did you think that you were going to do? Like from the I wanted to be a policeman. Yeah. Now I want to be a truck driver when I grow up. Okay. And have a super yacht. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, look. It, it, Born in, in Queensland, a little town called Billawilla. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it. You would have heard of Billawilla, yeah. Um, just over the range from Gladstone, I think it is, off the top of my head. Little gold, gold mining town. Ended up in New South Wales, bounced around quite a bit. Wasn't really that good at school. Um, found it quite boring, to be honest. But I couldn't find a job that I wanted to do, so I stuck at it. Did HSC. Started uni and then for some, woke up one morning, decided I'm going to join the army. And then that was it. But whilst I was growing up, I wanted to be a copper. I think it's got something to uniform and power. Right. <laughs> so was there, was there someone you met that inspired you to go to the Army? Um, my uncle was in the Army. He, he retired 
as a warrant officer in the Royal Australian Engineers, and he was probably it, it definitely my favourite uncle. So yeah, um, whether that was a big influence or not, I don't know. Um, like I said, I just woke up one morning and thought, you know what, I can't swear, can I? I'm going to join the army, and then <laughs> join the army. Yeah, I was only going to do it for a short term. So I was only going to do it for about four years, get some life experience. But then I found the boozer, and then I got promoted, and I thought, I like this power thing. This is good. And ended up doing um, 25 years, just about, yeah. 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 So you enjoy the power, but then there's very much a service <laughs> no. a service mindset, and I, how can you make a difference? Where did that grow as you were serving? It just comes to you, I think. Because um, you get a... You can't be in the army and not take pride in what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't be in the army and not take pride in in who you are, mm-hmm. uh, in what you wear, um, and who you serve. Right, and we're serving our nation. Mm. You know? We're protecting that flag, as they say. Um, now, it was more the I think for me it was more that I was actually doing something for the country. Yeah, you know. Um, None of it was really for me. I'd, I'd, I'd had a sorted career through through defence. I drove tanks, climbed my tanks, <laughs> drove tanks, worked with artillery, uh, worked in some combat support battalions, um, did training command, tried to teach the officers how to be good leaders. That's a challenge in itself, isn't it, Shannon? <laughs> um, and instructed recruits and did a whole different range of different things. So for me, it was I didn't think about it. I want to do that. I'm going to go and do that. And the army gave me the, the the opportunity to grow. I suppose as a person, it gave me that confidence that I needed. Um, it taught me a lot of great skills in how to manage people mm. and how to understand people, mm. um, and things to look out for as well. You know, it, leadership is a broad term. Mm. Um, some people think they're great leaders. Some people don't think they are. Some people actually are. Mm. Yeah, but uh, I wouldn't say I was a great leader. I was competent. I don't think any of my diggers didn't like me. <laughs> Not that I know Is there of. anything that you would approach differently now when you look back on your leadership? No, no, I don't think so. Yeah. No, because um, you, you, you're always going to do some form of self-reflection, okay, so you don't do the same screw-ups twice. And everybody's got to be treated differently as well. So you may treat one digger who's done the same thing in a different aspect. And you can't just bark at them all the time because my influence had team and you yell at them, they just switch off. Mm. Yeah, there, there's probably is some things there if I took the time to think about it. Um, but nothing that really stood out. No. I'm trying to ask too many questions to make you squirm. No, no, no. I'll <laughs> bring it. <laughs> oh, okay. He didn't say bring it earlier. I don't have to answer them, right? That's the thing. <laughs> this is right. You can always deflect. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You, yeah you're, you're kind of good at that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Shannon, what about your early years? Um, so I grew up down in southeast Melbourne. Um, Dad was a mechanical engineer and worked for Toyota. Well, so he immigrated a couple of years before I was born, um, and he worked at Toyota the, the whole time until he retired. Um, so he only ever had that one job. So uh, that plus his side of the family are very pilot heavy. So of his, he's one of seven, and of his three of his brothers are pilots. My grandfather was a pilot, he flew DC-3s during World War II for America. Um, so that kind of went down the, I want to join the Air Force initially. Yeah. Um, went and did the tests, found out that my eyesight wasn't good enough. 
Um, so my response is, well, that's fine. If I can't fly the planes, I'll jump out of the back of them um, and proceeded to go join army. Um, have, have subsequently jumped out of a plane. How many times? Twice. Not with army though. Paid for both of them myself because my brother's a skydiver. Okay. That's a different story though. Um, but yeah, so then uh, as part of getting into the army, it was how you can go soldier or you can go officer. If you go officer, you can go to uni, you can get that degree. And I'm like, but I want to be a soldier. And we really suggest you be an officer. So off I went to ADVA, um, did the engineering degree, which was good. Um, initially thought that being an engineer or particularly being a mechanical engineer means that you're a mechanic. They're not the same thing. I went out, I went four years after a degree was finished. But what it did teach me was how to systemize and how to break down really complex problems, which was really good. Um, going through the Royal Military College, which was next, so that that apparently sometimes um, warrant officers or at that point then sergeants, I say pointing at Andy for everyone that's listening at home, um, <laughs> try to teach us manners, kind of worked to some extent. Um, so got out from there. Um, and then uh, just before you get uh, promoted or made up as, as you graduate in the college, you get to put down what corps within the army you'd like to go to. Um, I had both armoured, infantry, and Royal Australian Engineers after me. Um, I was strongly tempted to go to one of those two arms corps because when you're 20-something, all you want to do is, like, yay team, I've been trained for 12 months to move that way and kill things. Um, so let's go do that. Decided that as much as that would be fun for the three years that you're a lieutenant, after you finish being a lieutenant and you made up to captain, captains all effectively do the same job. It's all staff work of some description. So therefore, if I went into engineers, it means that I'd have a, a wider um, understanding of army. I'd get to do some of the logistics, logistic things, which therefore would give me employability options outside. Um, kind of glad I went down that route now um, because that's exactly what happened. Bounced around a number of different logistics appointments. Uh, met my wife, married my wife, daughter came along, reassessed life direction and therefore got out to spend time with the Wow. Okay, there's so much in that. And I just have to have to ask you, Andy, have you done parachute jumps too? I never saw the logic in jumping out of a perfectly good aircraft for no real reason whatsoever. Right. Well, Having said that, though, I have speared, not speared in, I have jumped into Sydney Harbour uh, with a military chute. Never do it again. Wow. It was cold, into wet. water. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool experience, actually. Yeah. Now, once is enough, tick that box, move on. Okay. Keep slowly feeded on the ground. Yeah. Uh, I hope other people enjoyed hearing that, but those questions were particularly for our producer, Lyndon, who's done over 500 jumps. Oh, yeah, he's an avid jumper, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. It's been a while, a couple of injuries. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. So when he's not skydiving, he's producing podcasts and doing other interesting things. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, how did you meet your wife, Shannon? Um, so the core that I was within, Royal Australian Electrical and Mechanical Engineers. Easy money owners. Some people, some people were just sad that they couldn't get into the call. Uh, <laughs> I was a craftsman, thank you very much. Um, anyway. So, no, you worked in the RPS. Club. No, I was a craftsman. <laughs> I was a production club. I was Ramey. ACN 078. Okay, and I did ask We're going to start arguing. Just you. Please, <laughs> I did ask them, like, just to minimise acronyms because we don't know what all of these things Sorry. stand for. Moving back out of the army space. Anyway, so... I was running the workshops at a particular unit. Um, the reason that I'd gone there as well, my brother was a combat engineer within that unit. Um, the fact that two brothers get posted to the same unit is uncommon, particularly mm. when one is a soldier and one is an officer. Yeah. Um, and 
when you've got two brothers. So you have a lot of Smiths, you have a lot of Browns, that's reasonably common. Two Lemanskis, so two brothers with the same name Lemansky in the same unit, never heard of. Anyway, so my wife at that time was an admin clerk, and she was actually my brother's admin clerk. So S comes before T, my brother's name is Tristan, so S Lemansky as opposed to T Lemansky. When she was filling out forms, she'd jump into the database, pull our regimental number, um, Ben Keys, I don't have a Reggie number, doesn't matter. Um, so we'd pull, we'd pull Tristan's PM keys to put it on a form. But because S comes before T, my, na- my number would be on the database first. So she'd pull my number and put it against Tristan's name. So she did this a couple of times um, accidentally because she'd be doing like a hundred and something soldiers admin at a time. My brother would come down, uh, hey, you've got, you've got the, the number wrong. She's like, hey, whatever. So she'd fix it up. Next batch of forms, she did it again. She's like, no, no, I, I know that I pulled this number from the unit numbers, not the army numbers. So who's this other guy? Oh, nothing like my brother. Um, so at one point I had to come down and talk to her boss because his soldiers had done something to some particular car. It doesn't matter. I need to go talk to her boss. So I'm, I'm walking down um, to talk to her boss and she sticks her head out of her office and she just sees me coming down on a mission, storm cloud over my head like it was in those days. And she just sees Lemansky. And um, she's, the way she puts it, respectfully insubordinate was how we summarise her career. Um, so she stuck her head out of her office and she goes, your brother, I didn't even break stride because he was a bit of an admin nightmare at this point. I pointed to her and went, he's entirely your problem. And then walked straight up the stairs to her boss's office. Now, for anyone that's met my wife, getting a word in edgeways is an achievement. Getting to shut her up is impossible. She was speechless. Um, so that's how we met. Um, I then posted out of the unit a couple of months after that. We kept the conversation going. Um, and yeah, seven years later, married, one kid. So sparks flew, but not as you would be expecting. Yeah, correct. So when was the next conversation? Uh, so there, there's very much a thing in the military, particularly with officers and soldiers, you're just not allowed to be in a relationship. So as long as we were at the same unit, nothing was going to happen um, and nothing did happen. And then, yeah, it was, it was a while later because um, my brother would do whatever my brother did. He'd then end up in trouble. He'd need admin written. Um, I'd write. So he'd, he'd submit forms. The form would come back denied because it was... I'm Tristan, I'm entitled to the thing. The boss would come back, no, you're not. So then the next time the form would go in, I, Tristan, blah, 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 in a line with insert all these documents, respectfully request because it's good for army. And so before it got to the boss, it had to go across Danny's desk and she'd take one look at it and go, you didn't write this. And he goes, yes, I did. So then I'd get a message on the, the LinkedIn going, did you write this thing for your brother? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So it was an admin relationship yep. for a while there. Yep. Wow. Yeah, it's really interesting to just hear about how people connect. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't always start well. Mm. <laughs> Would you like to share how you met well, your wife? I can't remember. That was over 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Some people do just, like, grow into your life. You're like, where was that if first conversation? Oh, you like, you've just always been here. <laughs> what are you doing in my lounge room? Jesus, that's a long time ago. I don't think I'll bore you with that one. Okay, so tell me, what's the most interesting, or who is the most interesting stranger that you've met? Carrie Phipps. Have uh, you met her? <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, any other examples? Well, you know, you've got a book that term, uses the title Stranger, doesn't it? Yes. Do you have to speak to strangers or something? 
Yeah, there's do talk to strangers, how to mm. connect with anyone anywhere. Yeah. Then there's the do talk to strangers travel toolkit right. for people that can't read or don't want to read a full-size book or want yeah. a little travel edition size. And then the latest is how to talk to strangers to decrease anxiety, build confidence and make a bigger difference in your world. Long subtitle, but that's the essence of the book. Yeah. So tell me, when have you encountered a stranger who has decreased anxiety or built your confidence? Yeah, I should have pre-warned uh, you with that uh, one. Yeah, everybody's strange to me. I'm the only normal one. <laughs> That's why you live that far out of town. Um, so, <laughs> so, so what I've what actually found, we'll go with confronting. It's not the right word, but we'll go with that. Um, I'm very much an introvert and I'm very comfortable living under my rock. Thank you very much. Um, and as a co-founder of a company, that doesn't work. Um, ideas need friends and ideas aren't worth squat. It's all about the execution of them that matters. Um, so I've needed to do a lot of a lot of networking functions, a lot of rocking up with I walk into a room and I know absolutely no one there. Um, but it's a climate tech expo or it's an innovation thing and it, it's the ecosystem and it's the kind of people that we need to be talking to. Um, and you meet one person and that leads to then meeting another person and everybody's a stranger until you very quickly work out that everybody knows everybody. Uh, so Gavin Keeley, um, Jules, who's the chief entrepreneur of Queensland. So those kind of people that you have no idea who they are when you walk into the room, you go to, in, in the case of Jules, um, met her because I went to a Caloundra um, Chamber of Commerce breakfast that Steve Baxter was presenting at. So I sent him my Shark Tank. I'm like, yep, yeah, cool. I've got this awesome business idea that's obviously really investable. This was six months ago before we worked out how business works. Um, so I went to this thing being like, I can pitch him this and then it'll just be like Shark Tank. That's not how investment works, but that's okay. We've learnt that now. Um, that meeting though, and me going to that with him as the draw card, went to me meeting Jules, which then led to me going up to Massive Island, which is then rolled from there. So. Yeah, I wanted to come back to the Chief Entrepreneur of Queensland. It's so this is this is a new thing. You know, we don't have this in every state. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about. I think Queensland's the only state that's actually got it. New South Wales doesn't have one. They've got something so close, but South Australia's got one. Do they? Yep. So South South Australia and Queensland are the only two states that have got one. Um. So and the reason that Queensland stood one up is, or particularly to support the defence sector as well, is they've seen all of the work that Adelaide did to get all the shipbuilding and the submarine mm. building down there. Um, a lot of defence tech has now gravitated to Adelaide and both Queensland and New South Wales have gone, ooh, uh, oops, there's a lot of investment down there. We probably need to do something about this. So they're growing that. However, what Queensland's also driving really hard on, climate tech, innovation, um, and like made in Australia kind of initiatives, um, a lot of it is also on the Sunshine Coast that we didn't recognise until we started mm. this business. And then you start going to these events and you find out that everybody that's in Brisbane actually lives on the Sunshine Coast anyway, um, which has been a really good thing to do. So what Advanced Queensland does is they pull together the whole innovation ecosystem within Queensland. And they're not just folks. A lot of it is central to Brisbane, but particularly uh, with Jules, because she lives out in um, Gunnawindi. So she's the first chief entrepreneur that hasn't been a Brisbaneite. Um, so she's very focused on connecting all of the regions. Um, one of the grants that we were looking at applying for, um, it's the collaborate, uh, regional collaboration, 
fund grant or something to that effect. Um, what it's designed to do is two different entities that are not Brisbane-based ABNs coming together to then come up with a project that has intergenerational change or has a lasting impact. So it's not just advancing the um, each of those businesses. The actual value flows to the greater ecosystem or developing different communities and regions and getting money out there as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. And climate tech is not a phrase that's been used on the podcast before, to my knowledge. So can you just give us a snapshot of other things that you're seeing? Like, tell us about climate tech in, like, 60 seconds. Um, so... <laughs> oh, goodness, stop watching. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, 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 so climate tech is, is anything... So we, we know uh, where climate change is going. We know that we need to try and reverse that as quickly as we can. So any of those things that work in that, that ecosystem that helps us become more sustainable, solar power, hydrogen, um, any of the circular economy when it comes to not just how to recycle things, but how to build it in by design. So therefore the waste was never there to have to recycle to begin with. All of that gets stripped up under climate tech. Um, and that's also where we see atmospheric water generation technology going as well, because wind back 20 years, everybody knows that solar panels were these big, bulky, expensive things that the payback period on them was ridiculous. The efficiency on them was non-existent. Um, the amount of greenhouse gases admitted to produce the silicon to then make the panels, it was arguable as to whether it was ever gonna even come up with that. Um, but where you fast forward to where solar panels are today, We've now got, particularly in Australia, the uptake on them is so big that the power grid is actually struggling during the middle of the day to deal with all the power that's being fed in from solar panels. Mm -hmm. We see the same thing happening with atmospheric water generation technology. So what solar panels are to power, our tech is to water. So solar panels have allowed the, the power grid to be dispersed and to become a lot more resilient. This tech's got the potential to do the same thing, where you now disperse the water network so therefore you're generating water at the point of need which therefore means you don't need to run a desalination plant as much so if it's not raining the only other place you're getting water from is a desalination plant those are um, energy efficient but more so they generate a lot of waste from salt water and other um, things that come out of that plant even then you put it into aging infrastructure water leaks on the way to the end point if you just generate the water at the end point you don't need to worry about the leaking pipe because it didn't travel through that. Yeah. And you don't have to pull the salt out of the water because it didn't come out of the ocean, it came out of the air. So this is where we can see that that tech going where water security and water efficiency are the point of need. Yeah. And just hanging out with you today and hearing you talking to people and telling them what you're doing, it's, it's great to hear that response and see people's faces as they're processing what you're sharing. And so normally, within the first five seconds, as soon as you say we're pulling water out of thin air, that's the hook straight away. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then when, that's when you get into the more the detail. So after 30 seconds to a minute, you've pretty much got a meter out of your hand or drinking yeah. out of your hand. I, I think this is a good episode name for the podcast. Drink, drinking out of your hand? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> pulling water out of thin air. Because, you know, I've, I've introduced you to a few people and I've just said, oh, you know, my friend Andy who's pulling water out of thin air. Oh, Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm keen to meet him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll be name dropping Shannon a bit more often now. Um, but fine. You're just you're fine. still down the road. Fine. Shannon's up in Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you guys are like 
on the phone a lot? Like how often are you actually in the same city like you are right now? In uh, not not very often. It's, it's the simple yeah. answer. Um, so we, we've got two scheduled meetings a week mm. um, and that's as much as Andy likes to talk to me. So Yeah, but don't I'm, stop you. So I, yeah, correct. So I'm making mates on the phone a lot more than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and, he's, and he's given up answering to my texts. Yeah, because so. they come through at 4 o'clock in the morning, yeah. No. Business partner. <laughs> yeah. So, so before we wrap up, because we do need to go and do a photo shoot now that you're in the yeah. scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you didn't know you get a bonus photo shoot with this. No, no I haven't done this with other podcast no, no, guests, no, no, but, you yeah. know, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Uh, so is there anything else that you'd like to add, you know, from your story or anything else you'd like to say to encourage other people maybe who are listening and, you know, wanting to connect more like you have, Shannon, sitting on a dream? I love that you said ideas need friends. Yeah, I could just sit with that for a minute. Like we've just got to go and share the ideas and have the conversations, even if you're not feeling entirely confident. Yeah. Mm. And I think the big thing, when we started with this show, I, I had it all mapped out. It was going to be perfect. It was going to be real easy, <laughs> which it hasn't been. Um, but the rather than giving up on it and going, nah, that's it, like pull the pin and walk away, the thing that's kept me motivated is even though the initial application of where we thought it was going is not where it's panned out immediately, it's selling or first defining the vision, so doing the hard thinking to go, okay, what what actually is this and how can it be applied? And then just starting to talk to people and I'm not just talking your parents or your mates because everyone's going to go, yeah, mate, that's awesome. Um, Talking to completely random strangers to go, hey, we pulled water out of thin air and then get the what you what. Um, and the model that I've been trying to use, um, and Princess Trust Australia, who's one of the crews that we spoke to this morning, um, from their program, I've learned the hook, the heart, and the call to action. Um, so grab someone's attention in the first 15 seconds. Um, so that's the hook. The heart, which is convey the story such that they actually care, um, which is all well and good and very philanthropic. But then you need to, the call to action off the back end as to what what do you need from them? What do you need them to do? So whenever I'm talking to anyone, it's always, hey, we pull water out of thin air. People start listening to you pretty quickly after that. Mm-hmm. The heart, so therefore, we want to use this to break the cycle to close the gap. And then the call to action. So, and what I need help with, or the thing that I'm struggling with is, and just just be honest with people and tell them what it is. And then it's, even if that person can't help you, it's, oh, well, I've got this mate that might be able to, and then you just never know where the connections are going to go from there. And that's how within 12 months of discovering this technology, I'm talking to the Governor-General today. Mm. Which was pretty special. I think we might put a, a few links in the show notes, like your website, obviously, because yeah. people are like, what? I want to, like, stop listening, actually go, you know, call these guys. <laughs> Do we have, we've got a, a link to our LinkedIn page and website. Yeah. I, yeah. I haven't seen it since you've yeah. updated it. Yeah, so new website. We'll put all the links yeah. in. Yeah. And, and the Prince's Trust, too. It was fantastic to hear the Governor-General speak about that mm. and for Shannon to stand up and share so succinctly and so inspiring. I think everyone in the room was like, oh, what? <laughs> Just got to get him to start throwing money at us. This is great, yeah. Uh, so anything else you want to add, Andy, as we wrap up? No, I don't think so. Is there anything you want me to add? Cool. Anything in particular? No, I think we've done very well. Uh, I was chastised by a friend this week 
about the podcast and how I'm not asking people to rate the show, add comments, you know, do reviews. But as part of it or after it. Uh, This this is the end of it. So please. And you know what? Because we give to water projects in developing nations through B1G1, I thought with this podcast um, specifically, we'll give water to families in developing nations for every um, review, comment, share on LinkedIn, whatever I can track. Mm. So let me know, my friends, if you're listening to this and you want to get on board with giving water this week, we can do that. And so, yeah, please rate the show, share the episode, because the more people who listen to this, like you said, ideas need friends. Let's get the podcast out there. Share the story, share the water, and keep connecting with confidence. Even if you don't have confidence, go connect. What are you looking away for? <laughs> because you're sitting across the table. Anyway, friends, I hope you've enjoyed this little episode uh, recorded here in Sydney with Andy Warner and Shannon Lemansky. Awesome. Thanks, Thank you very much, Gary. It's been an experience. <laughs>